Hello and welcome to the Security Visionaries podcast. I am Emily Wearmouth and this week it's my turn to be your host again. So I'm battling through a cold, which you may be able to hear, because I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I'm joined today by two guests and I'm going to start by introducing them to see if you can guess what we're going to be talking about. So first up, Alex Clixby has been working as a fractional CIO since 2021, following a long career which first saw him as a commissioned officer in the British Army, and then led on to a range of full-time IT leadership positions for FTSE 100 type organisations. Then he set up his own business and is now offering his services as a contractor. Welcome, Alex. Hi, good morning. Ian Goulding is an interim CIO. He's an executive director, a NED, a board advisor and an investor. I guess that's pretty much the definition of a portfolio career, Ian. Through his career as an interim, Ian has worked with a number of private equity backed firms across a whole load of industries, including sustainability, real estate. I might forget one here, housing, telecoms. Uh, And he's also worked for a number of great British institutions, including the RNLI, Lifeboats, for those of you not in the UK, and the Natural History. Museum. In these roles, he's been accountable for overseeing cybersecurity, among other things. So, can you guess what we're going to be talking about today? We're going to be talking about alternatives to a full-time CIO or CISO or tech leader. I'm going to be asking, what is a fractional or interim CIO? I'm going to be asking, how does it work? What's good about it? And I might even coax them to tell me some of the downsides too. So let's start with some definitions so that we all know what we're talking about. Alex, can you kick us off with a definition of a fractional CIO? Uh, yeah, sure, Emily. Yeah. So a, a fractional CIO, or indeed a fractional anything, is it just means part-time. It's a posh way of saying part-time. So in, in this respect, it is um, somebody who works part-time for an organisation as, as a CIO. Um, it's a contract role. Um, generally for myself, I, I work anything from, from two to maybe eight or ten days per month for, for, for each client, um, which, is, which is great because it means I can have a number of clients at, at any one time. Brilliant. And Ian, what about an interim CIO? What's an interim? Yeah, so I probably fit the mould more of uh, an interim. But yeah, no, and the, the difference between an interim and a fraction, I would say, is that a fraction is a brilliant way of getting CIO type uh, thinking without having to um, bite the bullet and actually and fund a full role. So it can be incredibly valuable to help an organisation with that. Uh, thought leadership and planning and oversight, etc. I think an interim uh, role is probably more akin to like a full-time role for a certain period of time. Um, so therefore, it's not so easy to have other clients, although there might be non-exec type engagements around that, um, which actually can be helpful in the interim role to make sure you're well-grounded and connected to what's going on. Um, but I think, um, yeah, an interim role will probably focus on solving a particular problem or maybe a cluster of problems where an organization just knows something can be better or different somehow or just needs help to to turn a corner and and be walked through those changes yeah and what sort of size organizations would have an interim cio role in uh, i think it prob- probably uh, probably suggests a, a certain size of certain critical mass of a, a few hundred people or a certain level of revenues because otherwise it's a very heavyweight role um i mean it kind of i think probably an interim cio role becomes more important where there's more complexity in an organization you know more business units more branches more products and services etc more teams so probably helping to achieve scale and be more clear about you know how to fund initiatives and products and services etc um yeah so i think i think probably sort of um you know a, a level of a few hundred people and upwards 
Um, but it can, can be very varied, and some of the engagements I've done have been um, helping use interim CIO type thinking to help smaller startups to grow as well, because it's a rich mixture, isn't it? Alex, when you're working with um, your clients, do they tend to be a certain size? And within that, do they tend to have anybody who is already responsible for technology? Yeah, so I think generally small to medium businesses, uh, most of my clients are anywhere between uh, 50 and 500 staff. Um, I think the point Ian made uh, a minute or two ago about it generally is for companies who can't afford to have a full-time CIO, whether that's a a permanent CIO or whether it's an interim CIO. Um, But for companies who want the 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 strategic vision the board advice the the technical horsepower uh, and some some high level IT leadership but can't afford it or, or just just can't really justify it full time and um, that's where a fractional role come comes in um, and I think is a very useful tool for these organisations. A question for both of you: When these organisations are engaging with you, what is it that makes them realise they need you? Are they aware of the problems that they need you to fix, or is that a big part of your job of revealing the challenges to them? Um, yeah, I think I think generally for me, um, it, it tends to be for businesses who know they've got a problem. Um, they 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 know something's wrong, but they're not quite sure how to put a finger on it, or, or even if they do know how to fix it, they, they probably don't have the, the wherewithal to do so. Um, sorry, Emily, you asked me a question in, my, in, in the earlier question, and I didn't quite answer it, because um, you, you asked whether these organizations tend to have an, an IT person in, in already. Uh, again, I, t- I tend to have a little bit of a mixture there. Um, some of the companies I work with uh, do already have an IT leader, uh, maybe just a singleton post. Um, some actually have an IT team, uh, generally not very large teams. Um, some have nobody from IT at all, and maybe just have a uh, an external managed service provider. So I think it depends a little bit what they've got in there already. Um, if they have got IT leadership in there, I think generally they have a better idea of what's wrong. They maybe just need help prioritizing that and, and a little bit more experience than they've got in, in, in how to fix it. Um, if they're a company who have nobody in IT, then, then generally they haven't got a clue. They, they, they just they just realize something's not quite working right. Um, you know, it, it maybe it just doesn't seem very effective. It's not very efficient. Uh, maybe they're paying a lot for IT and not not feeling they're getting a lot of return of investment. So I think that's, that's generally where when someone like myself can come in and help to to decide uh, and advise. I think Alex would probably we probably have people describe a lot of symptoms that they see, don't they? You get you gave some of those. You know, another symptom might be um, in slightly large organisations might be that it's hard for a, a head of IT or an IT director or CIO to stay in the organisation for a while, and it, and it and it may be that it's not entirely the correct perfect fit for those that previous role or sometimes many roles that come and go. But actually the underlying problem is probably one of culture, prioritization and what the organization itself decides it needs. So, you know, I think the experience that we can provide is unpicking that and going to the root cause can be quite hard because everyone has their complex areas of functional um, work to be focused on, don't they? Mm. That's an interesting point around culture. How do you as an external pair of eyes really get in and make any difference make changes to culture for me i would say uh it the changes in the culture have to come from the people within the organization wanting that change therefore understanding that there are there is a different way or different ways 
And the reason I say not just a different way, but there may be different options is I think it's really important, like the listening that goes on to understand what's really going on from different perspectives so that people can actually think about what's going on and want something to change and see some benefits to them. And it can be a bit like lining up Swiss cheeses, I'll, I'll be honest, sometimes, you know, Swiss cheese and the holes to, to line up where you're trying to find a path forwards. There is always a path forwards. I think it's very important it comes from the people in the organisation themselves. So let's face it, Alex and I will be metaphorically here today, gone tomorrow. We're trying to help an organisation turn a corner so that it can run itself in a way, perhaps with a different sense of direction or different priorities. So I think, you know, that's that's the approach that I, I tend to use is by sort of studying what other people's perceptions are and working with them. So probably a strong element of mentoring and coaching that, that goes into that as well. Alex, do you have any thoughts? I love that Swiss cheese analogy, by the way. I've never heard it and I'm determined to use it this week. Any thoughts from you, Alex? <laughs> Uh, I agree with everything Ian said. Um, I, I think we're there as advisors. We're, we're, we're there to guide the business. Um, we will often make a decision uh, in our mind of where we need to go. But ultimately, we're, we're recommending the, the permanent members of staff, the senior management team, the board um, on, on the way to go. And really, it's for them to accept that and, and to move forward on that. But having having that culture of change is really key to our, to our roles, because I, I have been into a few businesses where whatever I say, whatever I recommend, uh, it's not always necessarily something they want to do because they just they don't have that that culture of, of change or, or wanting to accept change and i think that's really important so if anyone does want to hire people like myself and ian they uh, they can make our life a, little, a lot easier by by wanting to accept the change that we're that we're often recommending that's a good point um are there any recurring themes at the moment to the sorts of projects that you're both being brought into you know we've we're seeing some big shifts and trends macroeconomic conditions you know are risk management or consolidation projects particularly prevalent or is it a real mixed bag still alex one for you uh, yeah, it's, it's it's a bit of a mixed bag, and I think I think that's one of the reasons I love I love the fractional role because the you know no no day is the same, no business is the same, um, but there are definitely themes that run through each of them. Um, I think everybody at the moment is is worried about their cybersecurity uh, and wh- whether they have sufficient defences um, in their organisation um, to to prevent uh, a cyber attack. Uh, so I think I think that's something I. Uh, I tend to spend a lot of time on um, initially when I go into a company checking checking what their security is like and, and making recommendations to improve it. Uh, cloud is is another thing that that gets mentioned a lot of the time, but but probably not always how you think. Um, some companies I am discussing with them about moving more to the cloud, but some companies who have moved to the cloud haven't found it necessarily to be the the panacea we once thought it was. So of, often I do look at. You know, not necessarily moving everything back from the cloud, but but possibly to having more of that hybrid um, between cloud and on-premise. And actually, um, some organisations are at very different stages, aren't they? I mean, mentioned cloud, Alex, but in some organisations, um, some organisations legitimately do have some on-premise um, uh, equipment and services in their data centres, but gen- generally quite a lot just haven't got around to making the changes. And I think, you know, there that's where we can help with uh, understanding kind of the overall architecture and what everything is there for, therefore the legacy systems, how to remove some of those to remove the cost and the complexity and therefore all the foundational tech stuff to be kind of, you know, working well, like all the 
day-to-day desktop solutions that we provide, video conferencing teams or whatever it might be. But I think increasingly on you know, what people find heavy going is, yeah, I think cyber and privacy is incredibly um, incredibly high priority. It's hard for organizations to know what to do about it. And I think this is where the senior leadership with tech experience can help to shine a light on what are all these um, what are all these areas of risk. I mean, understanding the assets to protect, therefore deciding what to do about it. It's an organization-wide topic, having the right tools, but also the capabilities and the people, and that's across the organization. It's not the IT or the InfoSec team that fixes this stuff. They might take the lead on certain elements. But I, I also think you know there's also another area which is where increasingly organisations provide, provide digital type products or services. It, it requires a way of working that brings different value streams or different teams together in a way that they perhaps didn't need to work together so closely in the past. And I think it's orchestration to bring people together is um, is a is pretty important area that we can help with too. Again, not just IT, is it? Yeah, it's a very good point. Um, I'm just wondering, as you're talking, how do you measure the success of what you do? If you're in a role where it's a full-time role and it's ongoing, of course we know we need to measure, but you can get away with it a little bit more. If you're coming in and you're sending an invoice each month or you've got a limited time period of of operation, how are you capturing the value and reporting that back um, in some sort of metric to the organisations that you're working with? Um, I'll start with you, Alex. Yeah, it's a really good question, Emily. Um, I I always start off uh, with a, a review of the IT service um, for, for the business. So look, looking across everything, uh, people, process, technology, security, um, governance, uh, the list sort of goes on, a real, a real sort of drains up review, look at absolutely everything. Um, off the back of that, I, I tend to get a number of problem statements uh, and each of those problems needs to be remediated. Uh, I put them into a priority order uh, and I put in a, an IT service improvement plan. I think the best way to judge how successful we are is by how many of those problem statements we can remove and how quickly um, and, and how quickly we get through the service improvement plan. So I, I, I tend to stay with an organization from between six and 12 months, depending on how long they want to keep me and how long it takes to get through those improvements. I think generally um, at about the six month point, I've normally got about 70%, maybe 75% through that service improvement plan. So I think generally it shows it shows some good achievements. Um, again, it goes back to that point around culture and change uh, and, and acceptance of change. Uh, and clearly a lot of these changes do require the, the, the businesses buy-in. Um, if they require financial investment, then that's obviously a... It can, it can be a difficult conversation for some companies because uh, they're having to watch their pennies, especially at the moment in the current climate. Uh, but obviously, a lot of improvement will need some sort of investment. Ian, what about you? Yeah, I think I think they're they're very uh, good examples. And you know, in, in, and you could also say, in a way, it's for others to to judge after we've done our work. I mean, I think another another interesting way to look at it is like, does the organization feel it can continue down a path, which may change, of course, it's not going to be that path forever, but continue down the journey so that I mean, this is where I think our skill in 
um, working with others to bring bring about the change through the culture that others want to bring about change. Um, it's important because otherwise, you know, there's danger that we we just kind of uh, we we leave and then others just regress and everything goes back. So I think that's one thing that we probably it's a bit of a worse fear. But I think you know it can be very helpful after our terms to see that there's visibility of risk. An organisation knows their position on risks, therefore what to do about cyber. Just that clarity is important. I think providing. A, a greater progress around projects. Maybe there's some PM related sponsor, PMO related sponsorship, so there's more clarity on what can be delivered when who's and avoid the drag of long running costly projects. I think less noise. Um, that's perhaps a bit um, subjective, but less noise and chatter and objections around things if people are more clear on what's doing. Transparency of cost. Alex, you mentioned that's a brilliant one. Just to know um, know what it is that the organisation is spending on and how that lines up with wider priorities and ultimately the ability of the executive teams and the organisation to advance and meet its goals. Um, now, we've talked a little bit about what you do for the organisations that you work for. And I'm thinking we've probably got some listeners who are interested in a career like this for themselves. So I wanted to spend a few minutes talking about it as a career, fractional and, and interim CIO as a career. So my first question would be, really, what led you into these careers? You both come from backgrounds in, in more full-time permanent roles. How did you end up doing this? Should we start with you this time, Ian? Yeah, sure. So um, I think it probably tells you something about yourself, what you're like between these roles, particularly as I do less fractional and more interim roles, so it can be very full on. Um, I probably learned that in my retirement, it's probably not good to expect that I'll be happy just sitting reading a book for a day or two. Um, but then there's a, a the flip side, positive side of that is an opportunity in between so to keep fresh engage with the community understand what's going on obviously attend some events you know maybe undertake some training or whatever it might be um, but I think I think that sort of a little resilience mental resilience is needed between the roles because there will be periods of some weeks or sometimes some months where have to flip into a different mode of thinking and not feel too worried about what might come something always comes along and has I've been fortunate blessed with some incredibly great best-in-class organizations but until you know what's coming next yeah it can be a little um uh, mental resilience needed to work through that so good for people who are resilient and get bored easily <laughs> in summary <laughs> yeah as long as, as long as your next role keeps coming yeah. <laughs> yeah and that's part of the working in between isn't it to yeah. look for that alex what are your thoughts I, I agree with everything Ian said. I mean, I actually started off um, when, I, when I set my business up four years ago. I actually started off as a full-time interim CIO, um, and I did I did that for for a year. Uh, I got to the end of that year, and uh, and quite frankly, we'd, we'd made some huge steps within that company, made some huge improvements. Uh, I'd bought in a head of IT who was doing a very good job, and it sort of left the business still wanting to keep me, but not really needing me full time. Um, so this. This sort of, I don't know, just, just, just got me thinking and just thought, well, what if I had a couple of businesses like this? And then just, just out of nowhere, quite, quite luckily, I got contacted via LinkedIn um, to see whether I wanted to go and work as a CTO part-time for a, a healthcare company. And uh, I took that one on. And, and before I knew it, I sort of I fell into fractional work. And at times, I've had up to six different CIO roles. Um, I think generally, I prefer to have about four or five. Um, 
but it's just it, it's just sort of found me but uh, but i do really enjoy it I, I really enjoy the variety of it um i like the ever-changing challenge uh like ian i get bored very easily um and just want want something a little bit different in my life um but i'm, I'm also knocking on a little bit and uh, i sort of I, i'm looking toward the future and thinking I, I wouldn't want to retire in five years but i wouldn't mind to reduce my days and and having a number of part-time roles is quite a good way to do that and it sort of fits into my my time of life um and if i want to go down to work a, a three or a four day week then then i can because i can just sort of reduce the number of clients i, I have um but but i absolutely do agree with ian um about peaks and troughs and i think any any type of contract work um you sort of take the rough with a smooth um, feast and famine i hear a lot and it can be it can be full on it can be really really busy um which is which is great when you're self-employed um but also you can have a few weeks or months where it's not quite so busy so you have got to be pretty resilient and you've got to walk into it eyes wide open accepting that fact because if you expect it to be like a permanent role where it's all just steady state um i think you'll be a little bit shocked i'm going to phrase this question very carefully because i don't want to offend anybody um but nobody on this call is in their 20s i'm going to leave it at that and so i wonder whether is there a particular amount of experience you need to get under your belt before you can offer your services an interim or a fractional cio Um, and if there is how much how much do you need to clock before you can do this i think i think you absolutely need to i mean if you're going to be a CIO of any type, whether it's fractional, interim, permanent, um, you need to have chalked up enough years of experience. I, I mean, I think I don't I don't know of any CIOs um, who have got less than twenty years working in IT leadership. Um, so that's probably why we're slightly more mature end of the spectrum. Uh, but but I I think I think you need that experience, and I, I'll, I'll talk about a fractional role. You've got to go into each of these businesses very quickly, figure out what's going on, uh, hit the ground running, um, and you need you need to be able to bring in a huge level of experience and skills very, very quickly. And I think for that, I wouldn't feel comfortable going in and doing this with anything less than the 25, 26 years of experience that I've got. Ian, any thoughts from you? Yeah, so I, I think that's right. I mean... Um... I mean, when I when I mentor people that are much earlier in the stages of their career, um, I kind of joke with them about how you don't suddenly become an interim, you know, an actual CIO on a particular date, and there are stages. But I think the the more you've done, more seen, more different types of activity, problems, fix things, or been involved over a number of years, of course, it's it's part of the toolkit, isn't it, to understanding how to read a situation. So I think more experience can be uh, can be uh, very advantageous. Have to have been in these sorts of environments a few times. That said, there's a bit of a catch twenty two, isn't there? If you've been in one role like I had been for fifteen years and a four times PE backed um, firm, you have to start somewhere. So maybe you start somewhere you're a little bit rough around the edges, and you just have to gain your experience and hopefully you hone your skill over time. Yeah. Now I've I've dodged I've managed to not offend anybody by uh, talking about age so uh, I'm now going to get personal and just ask does it ever get lonely you know you're you're moving from business to business you're working yes you're borrowing other people's teams or you're supporting other people's teams but in a lot of ways you're a team of one does it get lonely and if it does what what do you do to try and combat that um I'll start with you Ian um it can do because I think there's a lot of pressure for us to deliver something in our roles and it's not always clear always what the in aggregate what that something is. Something new develops often when we're fixing more foundational issues. I think engaging with our tech communities can be incredibly rewarding. 
um, seeing how other people's evolving, hear other people's stories of what they're doing, and frankly, sometimes engaging with others at, at events and, and hearing how people have some of the similar issues kind of makes you feel like you're not alone. It can be lonely, but I think actually within within the roles themselves, while they're full on, I think if they're set up with a kind of right level of sponsorship or engagement at the senior levels, that can also provide some cover and a little little understanding that what, what we're actually engaging to do for the organisation is actually what the organisation wants and needs. And so it feels a bit little bit lonely in that situation when you feel that there are supporters uh, for you on that journey. Alex, any thoughts from you? Yeah, I think I think probably doing less days per month for an organization probably makes it feel even more lonely. So whilst Ian's an interim, Ian's working full time. So it probably feels most days like a permanent role um, for myself. Uh, it, it, it doesn't always feel like that. Uh, some of my my clients that I've had for you know over, over a year, I, I tend to just work maybe one, two days a month. So therefore I have I have fairly limited contact with them. So I'll often go on a call and, you know, everyone's everyone's got an in-joke that they're sharing and I'm sat there thinking, well, I don't know this in-joke because I wasn't on the call with them at the start of the week. So um, I think from that perspective, it can be, but it, it's, it's like anything, isn't it? If you want to do it, um, even though there are maybe negatives to doing it, you've, you've just got to get on with it and, you know, not not let it affect you, not, not, not get upset if you feel lonely. Um, I think initially a lot of the loneliness was because I started this during COVID and during lockdown. So I literally did all of my work as, as a lot of people did in the country uh, and across the world. Um, they, they did it working from home. So I think my first, my first interim role, uh, I met the, the board in real life um, nine months into the job. Uh, I'd spoken to most of them on, on Teams calls many times a week but to, to finally meet people nine months in was a very a very strange um, situation to be in but you know up until that point just talking to people on teams was great but you don't quite get to know people properly and you don't quite get that sort of bonding um, so I guess that led to the loneliness a little bit yeah um, now thinking as you're coming to the end of a contract with a client is it ever your role to find your replacement and if it is how do you go about doing that yeah, so um, a few things connected with that, both setting the scene in terms of what an organisation could or should expect from the future person in that role, and the how to um, how to curate the role itself, and that's incredibly important. So yes, in terms of scene setting and actually working through that, because having got a lot of deep cultural insight into how an organisation works, how decisions really get made, and yeah, and where the priorities lie. And yeah, in some cases, actually directly being involved with others to help them to explore the possibilities and find the right person. I think that can be incredibly impactful to set scene for the next role to be successful, especially as in multiple organisations where I've been after, many people have gone before. And I wouldn't say it's the fault of the people that have gone before. It was probably a combination, a mixture of factors that have not been set up right. Alex, how about you? 
I, th- I think for me, generally, if I'm if I'm finding a replacement for me as a fractional CIO, I, it's probably because I've not done a very good job. Because because generally, I'll uh, I'll stay for as long as they need me, and when they don't need me, it's because they don't need a fractional CIO. Um, so 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 generally, I haven't I've, I haven't had to do that. What what I have had to do though is, uh, as part of my people review, I've maybe recommended that that we do need maybe a a singleton IT post, maybe an IT manager or head of IT or something. So what what I have often done as part of my role is to is to recruit for that role. Um, so, again, if you're in an organisation who doesn't really understand IT, um, they don't really understand an IT person's CV and, and all the peculiarities within that. So, I have spent quite a lot of my time as a fractional, um, you know, sifting through CVs, um, interviewing people, and, and and trying to get the right person for 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 that business. Um, and then, I guess my final question to bring it to a close is. How do you go about finding your business? So as you're closing off on a on a client or reducing your days as a fractional CIO or you're coming to the end of your contract as an interim CIO, is it a business development exercise? Is it a sales exercise to find the organizations that you work with? Or is it more of a sort of a traditional job hunting recruitment exercise? Um, and I'm guessing we might have slightly different answers from, from each of you. So um, I'm going to start with Ian this time. Uh, well, it's not a salesy exercise for me because I think my uh, friends and colleagues would find it pretty creepy if I started being a salesy person. I'm just not. Um, I, I'm curious and I really genuinely enjoy, really love talking to other people, um, business leaders more broadly, like chief execs or others that are running a business or involved in a business in what it is they like to do. Really, really curious about what tech, digital and data can do for that organization. So sometimes that leads to conversations that lead to further possibilities that provide, I suppose, very informally without a clear method of pipeline for future work and just being there to continue the dialogue. I'm very interested in what tech does, not what it is. And I think that helps us to be engaged in the right topics for solving problems. Um, So that's my approach and um, yeah. I suppose as long as I know a next role will come at some point from that curiosity, I'm satisfied. What about you, Alex? Um, I hate to say that I'm a salesman, but for for some for some weeks or days, months of the year, I am, and uh, it's, it's not something I ever thought I would do. But uh, yeah, I, I guess because I'm changing role more frequently, uh, as I say, the, the fractional roles. They, some of them do last over a year, but some some tend to come to a natural end between six and, and, and 12 months. Um, so therefore, I need to find additional work. So I, I do go into salesman routine. Um, I do business development. I think having a really strong network is very important. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure if I should sell sell LinkedIn on this call, but, um, but certainly link, LinkedIn helps me a lot. I have my own website as well. So I get a bit through that. But I think having network... Having networked pretty hard over the last few years and knowing a lot of people in IT, but also in businesses, um, and also getting referrals has, has, has helped me a lot. Uh, there's nothing, there's nothing better than doing a good job for a for a business, and then them, I don't know, just probably talking over a beer with a friend in, in another business who says, "Oh, yeah, our, our IT is all right." A right bag of spanners, or it's not really doing what it should do, and they say, "Oh, you should have a, you should have a chat with this guy who's just been our our CIO," and that 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 tends to open a few doors for me, thankfully. And Alex, there's some irony actually, isn't there, that when we when we do our work, it's well received and things progress well that we're no longer required. So it's almost like creating our own uh, end. 
Yeah, it is. And when I, when I started this job, I, I used I used to joke with a few of my friends, not not IT friends, because I think IT friends would just tell me to shut up. But but my 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 non IT friends thought thought it was quite funny that yeah you you almost get rid of your job by doing a good job. And uh, uh, but but by the end of the day, that's that's what that's what you're there for, isn't it? They want especially for a fractional role, they want to get you in. They want to get you in pretty quickly. They want you to make changes as quickly as possible, um, and then they want you to. To, to to go off and, and do something else generally so uh you do you, you do sort of become the uh, the master of your own downfall in some ways but uh but then it's good because as i said at the start of the call the reason i love the fractional role is because i like the the new opportunities and and and, and a, a change in what i'm doing so actually if i can get in and fix fix a business's it and then move on to the next it, it keeps me keeps me excited brilliant well, you've sold me. Both of you have sold me. I'm off to find jobs as uh, interim CIOs and, uh, uh, <laughs> and fractional CIOs. Thank you both ever so much for your time today. Um, I found it hugely interesting. Uh, the, I'm increasingly seeing these job titles pop up on LinkedIn. So now I feel I've got a much better understanding of who these people are and exactly what it is they're doing. So thank you very much for your time today. Thank you, Emily. Thanks, Emily. Thank you, Alex. Nice to see you both. Yeah, you too, Ian.